Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades on five continents, culminated his ministry with a 21-year, book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called a life study. This life study is the basis of our program today, which includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's life study. In chapter 3 of the Apostle Paul's first epistle to Timothy, he comes to the crucial and highest point in the whole letter. But before he does, he first gives Timothy the important requirements or prerequisites for proper leadership in the church. Listen as Paul details these necessary attributes. Faithful is the word. If anyone aspires to the overseership, he desires a good work. The overseer must be without reproach the husband of one wife, temperate, of a sober mind, orderly, hospitable, apt to teach, not an excessive drinker, not a striker, but gentle, not contentious, not fond of money, one who manages well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. But if one does not know how to manage his own house, how will he care for the church of God? Not a new convert, lest, being blinded with pride, he fall into the judgment suffered by the devil. And he also must have a good testimony from those outside, that he may not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Deacons must similarly be grave, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for base gain, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience." Sober words all. And Matt Miller is here as we delve into this interesting portion of uh, the first epistle to Timothy. Good to have you back, Matt. Good to be back, Chris. This is a great portion to fellowship on today. Yeah, we're here talking about the requirements for the overseers. A word that may be more common to most of our listeners is elders, elders and deacons. Uh, As you and I were just talking a moment ago, Matt, really the only two offices that are uh, detailed in the New Testament regarding church government, aren't they? That's right, Chris. The classes in the church came later. In the second century, Ignatius separated the classes of overseers from elder. But what we see here is is an elder is an overseer. An overseer is an elder. It's not two separate classes. There's just one class of elders in the church, and then you've got some deacons who are serving under the elders. But you don't have the hierarchy in the church that you see in so many religious institutions today. That's just not scriptural. Yeah, the word that um, has become commonly known as bishop is actually a synonym for overseer. Um, But as you said, Ignatius, who was a church father, and we owe some very positive things to Ignatius, but in this area he departed from the teaching of the clear uh, word of the New Testament, didn't he, Matt? Well, yeah, he taught that a, a bishop is higher than an elder. But that's not true. A bishop is not higher than an elder. A bishop, like you said, or an overseer is an elder. Right. And that's what we see in this portion, First Timothy chapter 3. In Acts chapter 20, it uses these two terms interchangeably just to uh, reinforce this point. In, in uh, verse 17, uh, it says, And from Miletus he sent word to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. So here we have the term elder. And in verse 28, same chapter, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has placed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God. And the overseers 
is the same group of people he's talking to in verse 17 where he calls them elders. So this one chapter in the book of Acts equates these two terms, these two as really being the same office. One refers to the person, one to the office, but no distinction. Thought it's it's important to make that point, and I think uh, we just use that as a kind of opening word today to set up the program. That's a good segue for today's program. It's obviously not the main point of today's program, but it's a good introduction to the fact that we're talking about the leadership in the church, and the leadership in the church is not in a hierarchical level. You know, even as Paul sets this up, he has this marvelous phrase in verse 1, faithful is the word. If anyone aspires to the overseership or eldership, you could say he desires a good work. Witness Lee will delve into this word in this portion just ahead. Why don't we join him? Verses 1 through 13 in chapter 3, faithful is the word if anyone aspires to oversight, not to be ambitious. Aspiration is to desire something with a pure motive. If anyone aspires to oversight, the overseer then must be without reproach. Husband of one wife, this surely implies the strong control of these lustful desires. Temperate of a sober mind. This word sober as an adjective or sobriety as a noun. They have been used by Paul a number of times. We all need a sober mind. Sobriety is a Christian virtue in the church life. This means you are quiet, you are not talkative, yet you are not foolish. You are not dumb. You are quite understanding with much discernment. You see, you know things rightly, and you have the insight even the foresight, and you could see things through, yet you don't say anything. A talkative person could never be sober. A sober person is very slow in talk, but very sharp, very keen in understanding. When anyone comes to you, don't say too much, let the others say. You be sober. But our habit is this. People hasn't finished their half sentence. We like to stop. Listen to me. Let me tell you. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the prince with this, you must keep yourself so calm, like a tranquil lake, without any wave. And you can see everything there by not talking, by not saying anything. So, the elders should take the lead. In prayer life, elders should take the lead. In being sober, elders should take the lead. Matt, a few of the qualities were mentioned in this first verse, uh, which is actually verse 2. Without reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate and of a sober mind. But clearly his burden was on this last point, this matter of 
uh, sobriety. And the sobriety we're talking about here really has nothing to do with uh, the drinking of alcohol. It's a condition or a Christian virtue that I thought was uh, quite wonderful the way he developed it. Why don't you pick it up? The note in the recovery version, Chris, says that it's not only keen, but it's also discreet in the understanding of matters. And he uses this example that the elders need to be like a calm lake. So you can receive what people have to say. You can be keen in hearing them and understanding. You can be sober-minded when you're listening. But like he said, our reaction, our tendency is to talk. We have so much we want to say. Oh, I want to tell them what's on my heart. I have so much. We're not that discreet. We're not that keen. We're not that sober. Yeah. And I think it's a very helpful word. As I was listening to Witness Lee just now, I, I had the thought, we have a hard time with this because we're just natural people. And as I hear this, I feel so short because if my heart is not turned to the Lord, if I'm not exercised in my spirit before the Lord, it's easy for me to be not sober. And so I really have to turn my heart to the Lord when I hear this because I need the Lord's help. Lord, I need you right now to calm my being down, to make me like a, a still lake. Otherwise, my being is active. That's just the way I am naturally. You know, as an elder, as a leading one in a church environment, the need... Obviously, it also mentions apt to teach, uh, but before that, it talks about this matter of being sober-minded. And the key element there, it seems to me, is this ability to be involved in a situation and take it in, discern it, understand it, as you said, have a kind of keen insight into it. And that requires not that we're actively, at that moment, teaching, talking, and uh, really telling everyone how we feel, but the ability to, you know, to really listen and absorb and perceive and take in a lot so that there can be some understanding. And as you said, this cuts against our natural uh, grain pretty uh, drastically, doesn't it? Yeah, Chris, some people are like the snake oil salesman. They've got a cure no matter what your illness is. I've got the cure, and it fits everything. And so when people come to an elder in the church, in a sense, they're needing help. They have some type of sickness or some need, and if the elder only has one cure, he's going to be a quack. (laughs) <laughs> He's not going to have the solution because snake oil doesn't solve every problem. And probably your fit-all solution doesn't solve every person's needs. So you have to be sober-minded. You have to be keen to discern what really is this person's need and be exercised before the Lord that he'd give you the solution to that need. The rest of that verse, Matt, continues with uh, a couple of more qualities orderly, hospitable, and apt to teach. We're going to focus mainly on this matter of being orderly in this next section. Let's go back to Witness Lee. The top qualification of an elder, of a sober mind, elderly. What does this mean? This is a word so hard to get a proper equivalent in English language. Not too quick. Not too slow. All the time, just right. Not too strong, not too bold, and not too timid. It's not so easy, right? (laughs) Not so easy. You must talk when talk is needed. You must be silent when silence is needed. You have to laugh when laugh is needed. To my experience, to be an elder is not so easy. I'm not too much to say this. The hardest thing is to be an elder. Elders shouldn't talk too long over the phone. 
And neither the elder should answer the phone in a short, brief way. You often people. You be careful to answer the phone elderly. Not too short, not too long. I practice this over 47 years. It's not so easy. Don't cut your hair too long, not too short. <laughs> See? Too long is not elderly. Too short is not elderly. Sometimes people call us, the elders, 3 o'clock, not p.m. A.m. <laughs> you answer or don't answer. If you don't answer, not elderly. So you have to. So if you don't have a real burden with a pure motive, don't have any desire to be an elder. Forget about it. That's a wrong ambition. Now you understand. Oh, Lord Jesus. The requirement is unlimited. It's altogether worthwhile of such an aspiration. But it is a hard job. Yet, it is a great blessing to yourself and to your children. And of course, to the church. Matt, in that section, he spent a long time, I think, convincing all of us that this is a, a job none of us would want. But the way he concludes it on such a positive note, altogether worthwhile, he says, of such an aspiration. But it's a hard job. Yet there surely is a blessing associated, isn't there? There sure is, Chris. And uh, it's kind of a fine line, though, because on the one hand, people have an ambition. They want to be a leader. And this is not from the Lord. That's something that needs to be put down as ambition. But on the other hand, Paul charges Timothy that if anyone aspires to the overseership, he desires a good work. I mean, in God's eyes, this is a good thing. And then there's blessing to the individual. There's blessing to the church. There's blessing to the individual's family. And it's blessing to the, the ones he's in contact with. So there's much blessing. And it's quite an honor to have. And that's why he says you should aspire to this. But if anyone did it in an ambitious way because they wanted to be a leader, they would be making a big mistake because, as he said, just this one word, orderly, Yeah, the word means decorous. Yes. In fact, let me read it, the footnote. It says, meaning fitting the situation. So whatever situation you get in, somehow the Lord will give you the grace that you can fit in that situation. What a blessing to every situation that someone could fit to meet the need, whatever it is. You know, some people are maybe more or less this way in their natural disposition. The key here is to be this in Christ. And as you just, you said a key word here, that the Lord would grant the grace that in our natural disposition, we may be a hot, cold person. Um, some, some leading ones have the ability to, you know, and at certain times they're very hot and they can make other people hot, but at other times they, uh, they're kind of cold and they don't have anything. And, and until they get hot again, you may not hear from them. When they're hot, you'd say, oh, what a, what a wonderful leader. What an inspiring leader. I would follow this one. Uh, but the quality that's needed is this ability to, as you said, fit all the time. And that may not be hot or it may not be cold, but it's just right for the circumstance. And that's really the, the requirement. And that really requires grace. That requires God's economy, which is where Paul is intent on taking us in this book, doesn't it? It's impossible for us to be this way in our natural man. We can't be. And that's why uh, 
I heard this message live. I was in the meeting when Witness Lee spoke this in 1980, December 23rd, 1980. I was a young man. I was aspiring for this. And this made a deep impression on me as a young man. And since then, I've prayed many times, Lord, in this situation, I pray, grant me to be decorous. I don't know how to fit here. I need you. I need you to be able to fit in this difficult situation that you've brought me to. Matt, the last verse that I read in that uh, section at the opening, verse 9 in chapter 3, short verse, it's actually in the section where Paul now is addressing the deacons, but the, the requirements are very much the same for the deacons and the elders, and I think this verse applies to all of us, holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience. Uh, maybe the most spiritual uh, passage in this section and worthy of our attention in this last segment. So let's go back to Witness Lee. Verse 9, holding the mystery of the faith. Oh, this is a big term. The faith here is not subjective, but objective, referring to the things which are the very contents of God's New Testament economy. And the mystery of the faith is just a mystery of Christ and the church. All the deacons know this. Why? Because if you don't know this, your service will be on a low standard. You see, if you know this, your service will be high. Let me tell you, I was in uh, London for quite a while, and a friend there brought me to see the palace. I noticed even the janitor in the palace is different. Uh, He is a janitor doing the cleaning work, but he realizes he is a janitor of the king. And you see, if the janitors do the cleaning work with dignity, <laughs> that invites people respect. If your talk, your contact with people, always based upon the New Testament economy. My, what difference this may be. So, the deacons must know this and hold the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. In pure conscience, here means you must behave, live, act as what you know concerning the mystery of the faith. You see, our conscience condemns us. Well, you know the high standard of the mystery of God, New Testament economy, yet you don't live that way. You don't behave that way. Look the way you talk to your children. Look the way you deal with your wife. Look the way you deal with others. When you say, you say the mystery of the faith, but when you live, you live something else. Then you don't have a pure conscience. You must be justified firstly by your conscience. And you have a pure conscience to testify to all the demons. You are such a person. Oh, demons, look. Angels, look. I'm such a person. My conscience justifies me. I'm just a person living the standard of the mystery of God's New Testament economy. This is to hold the mystery of the feet with a pure conscience. 
Matt, there's a couple of terms here. There's a couple of, of, of concepts. If we have enough time, I'd, I'd ask you to try to make clear. First of all, the faith here that's associated with the pure conscience is not our subjective faith, our active believing, is it? It's the objective faith. So why don't we start with that? Yeah, Chris, in Jude verse 3, it says that we should contend for the faith. And that faith is the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That's the object of our belief. We believe in the faith. And holding the mystery of the faith, that's the high objective faith, the teaching, the truth that we believe in. That's different than our our believing. Our believing act is a subjective faith when we believe in the faith. There's a subjective aspect, experiential aspect, and then there's the faith, which is objective and uh, as a standard that we believe in. And so our faith fluctuates. It could be high today, it could be low tomorrow, uh, but the faith, this uh, standard of the truth, and as it's revealed in these writings of, uh, of the New Testament, it, of God's economy, it is a very high thing indeed, and hence he had this, I think, appropriate example of watching the janitor in the Queen's Palace in Buckingham. You know, there was a certain dignity associated. And in a sense, if this faith, this view such a high view gets attached to our conscience, then it has another aspect to it where it even can affect the way we approach our mundane tasks, can it? Well, yeah, these are the deacons that the Apostle Paul is talking about who are serving in the church. They may be cleaning the bathroom. They may may be setting up the chairs, but they need to be able to communicate the mystery of the faith, which is mainly the mystery of God, which is Christ, as explained in Colossians 2.2. And they need to be able to explain the mystery of Christ, which is the church, as explained in Ephesians 3.4. So the mystery of God, the mystery of Christ, this is the mystery of the faith. And if, if all the serving ones would be clear about God's economy in this mystery of the faith, it would change the way they do any kind of service in the church because it raises it even to a higher level than serving in Buckingham Palace. We've mentioned God's economy today, in a sense, uh, has not been the main focus per se, but certainly Paul uh, sees it as uh, critically important that these things are established in especially the leaders, uh, the leading ones among the church, as he prepares to unveil these marvelous verses that are just ahead in chapter 3, which we'll get into, uh, Lord willing, next week. Uh, But we shouldn't be dismissive of these points, should we? They're very important to our apprehension of uh, God's full economy. Well, it's the Word of God, and we can't uh, cut any words out because they don't make us feel comfortable. These these verses are convicting verses. Yeah, uh, they prick our conscience. They, you know, we need to hold the conscience, the mystery of the faith. We need to hold the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And the, the very next verse says, "And these also must first be proved, then let them minister, if they are unreprovable." Right. Very strong verses, and and you can't skip over them and just go to the. the the nicer verses later in the chapter because these verses were put there by the Holy Spirit for a purpose. I appreciated that you brought in your own experience as a young person, a young man hearing these words and how at this stage in your life they are still with you, in you, and operate. And that's as the word uh, is and should be. That's Uh, why I was glad, Chris, you asked me to do this program with you. Yeah, well, I am too, Matt. You were decorous. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We will be back next week as we... uh, launch into the second week of our life study of uh, the books of first and second timothy we hope you'll join us for that before we go of course we'd like to give you the toll-free number invite you to contact us about getting the printed life study of all of these messages in first and second timothy titus and philemon one eight 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 life study that is the toll-free number eight 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 five four three three seven eight eight 
And as Matt pointed out on Monday when we began this live study, uh, these messages are also available in print on the Internet. Matt, you want to give the website? www.ministrybooks.com. Very good. And that's all the time we have today. We do invite you back next week. For Matt Miller and Chris Wilde, thanks very much for listening. The world situation is under God's sovereign arrangement. He has controlled the timing of world events and has set the boundaries of human governments for the sake of gaining His purpose with man. God desires to express Himself and to exercise His authority through man. Human history reveals that God has arranged and is still arranging the world situation in order to carry out His plan to recover fallen man fully back to His original intention. In the book entitled, The World Situation and God's Move, Witness Lee provides a short but panoramic view of God's move throughout human history. He shows how God's detailed arrangement of world affairs was instrumental in the accomplishment of redemption and in the initial spread of the gospel. He further shows how God has been moving throughout church history to gain a proper testimony for His full expression. Such a testimony issues forth from believers who experience and live Christ and who are willing to meet according to God's ordained way, not in a way of division, but in genuine oneness as the body of Christ. The World Situation and God's Move from Living Stream Ministry is available at Christian bookstores everywhere, or you can order by calling toll-free 1-888-543-3788.